Sometimes it feels like everything in the world is fake. People pretend to be people that they aren't on the internet. There's fake science and political spin, conspiracy theories and misinformation. People lie to get ahead and they lie to protect themselves. We all wade through a river of bullshit every day, loudly proclaiming that we would never add to the volume of endless flow and outrage ourselves even as we search for an ever-elusive truth. Dan Ariely is a behavioral scientist at Duke University and the New York Times bestselling author of three books, although I think you're the author of five, uh, including Predictably Irrational, The Hidden Forces That Shape Our Decisions, and a brand new book titled Misbelief, What Makes Rational People Believe Irrational Things. You've seen him on TED Talks, on Instagram, where he's instantly recognizable as that psychologist with the half beard. I asked him to be on the show a month ago because I have this interest and a stake in the insanity that gripped our country during the pandemic and have an ongoing interest in understanding how lying is both incredibly destructive to the social fabric and incredibly effective at pushing forward an individual's own interests. I did a podcast uh, on this a few weeks ago. It was episode 26 called Variously the Truth About Lying and Why Liars Win, uh, depending on where you're watching. Ariely is on the forefront of this conversation on lying, uh, on also efficiency, and he gives powerful answers to hard questions. And, well, if you've been following the news cycle at all, he's also on the forefront of some controversial allegations that some of his own research may have included false information. Article after article uh, notes the irony of a professor about lying, possibly lying himself, and it really produces river of headlines, but it raises important questions about the very thing that he just wrote a book about. So with that, I'm just gonna get into this conversation with Dan and I have no idea where it's going to go. And Dan, I really appreciate you being here. I, I think my first question, I wanna go very, very big here. What is a lie and what is truth? Whew. <laughs> um, so, so, so I think that um, from my view, I usually take the, the perspective of the individual uh, I would say that the truth is somebody is something that somebody full-heartedly believes in, and a lie is something that they are saying differently to achieve some other goal. So if we imagine that everything we said was an, under an FBI investigation with the lights and interrogator and, and a lie detector, I would say everything that the person uh, truly believes in uh, I would not consider uh, a lie and and things that they uh, are using some you know trying to promote something else that the goal is different is is would be an an untruth an untruth so it, it's a or very a lie or a lie that's fine yeah it doesn't matter. yeah it, it's a very subjective thing right you know what is what is a lie is directed whereas truth though might also have sort of a hard base in reality if you're talking to that FBI guy and he said did you kill Jane um you're like that's well right. no I didn't really kill Jane I don't I, I I strangled her but you know she didn't like like there's there's a fact and then there's the lie right uh but so you know because because uh, <laughs> we, we will need more information about uh, struggling Jane, but but if if somebody has a, a nuanced uh, version of that, um, that's that's fine, right? It doesn't mean it's it's a truth or a lie. But if somebody says, um, you know, every fact that they say, I would say every fact that they say, if they believe that, uh, I would say they're telling uh, the truth, and if they don't. Uh, then they're not. Now, it's not the only definition. It's not even my only definition. It, mm -hmm. Because sometimes you say, um, if, if somebody, let's say, uh, somebody runs over a cat uh, driving, and they don't even notice it. Mm -hmm. And they say, I, I didn't drive over a cat. They truly believe that. Of course, there's the reality that they did drive 
uh, over over a cat. So it depends what what we want. But I think for most of my research, for most of my research, I'm interested in the psychology of people, mm-hmm. uh, and and because of that, I I prefer for 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 my working definition that uh, that version. It it also become uh, really interesting because, uh, for example, we we've shown in some. Uh, fMRI studies where imagine that um, let me ask you have you ever been late to a meeting and blame the traffic even if it's not wasn't traffic's blame fault uh, uh, definitely definitely okay. I have so so what what we see happening is that the first time people say a lie like this mm-hmm. um, their brain reacts very negatively they feel bad about it uh, but over time, uh, it becomes standard. The, the brain, the brain doesn't doesn't react very negatively to it. It's as if people say, you know, that's just what we say mm-hmm. uh, in these in these conditions. So, you know, again, you could say, oh, you know, the, the hundredth time that you uh, that you show up late to a meeting and you say that you were late because of traffic, it's just the same as the first one. But psychologically, it's it's, it's a different t- process. And I'm, I'm interested in that. Or, absolutely. And that was a fascinating part of your research. How it becomes easier and easier to lie. They sort of, it's, it's like, it's like the definition of this slippery slope, except read out with fMRI um, uh, studies. Right. So, so the, you know, your your new book is called Misbelief, and I want to yeah. start there. And I want to ask you why misbelief is so prevalent right now, and how we can untangle the truth in the world where facts feel so subjective. Yeah. So, so is it okay if I say a few words about how I got into this? Uh, or you prefer to I dive? Wanna, I, I want to dive in because I, I I'm going to actually okay. hit okay. that in a, in a subsequent question. Okay. Very good. So, so, so first of all, for me, this belief has these two components. Uh, the first component is believing something that is not either not true or not held by most people, most professionals, and so on. But the second part for me is that it creates a core belief in the person and a belief through which they view the rest of the world. Okay, so now, like, imagine that I um, that I think that donuts are actually healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a misbelief. It's not not very many people. Uh, adhere to that view, uh, but it's not the core belief in my life. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's not going to change me. It's not going to let me view things from that perspective. On the other hand, if I view something like I say, okay, uh, I believe that the earth is flat, you can say, okay, so it's just like believing that the donuts are are healthy, but but it's not really. Why is it not really? Because the people who believe the earth is flat, it becomes a central element of their personality because it's not just about that it's about the fact that the nasa is hiding things and the government is hiding things and all schools are on it and every pilot knows the truth and they're hiding and and now people started looking at life and say what else are they hiding mm-hmm. um so i was on some radio show for this new book and i talk a little bit about these topics and then uh, one of the listeners uh, wrote me and he said that in their town there was a pus- uh, salmonella poisoning. And he asked me salmonella what poisoning. salmonella poisoning. And he asked me what do I think was the was the cause of that? <laughs> and I said probably somebody didn't wash something and yeah. uh, let something and so on. And and his interpretation was very different. He said that the company that produced that food was of one political affiliation. Mm-hmm. And the town is mostly of a difficult, of a different political affiliation. And for him, this was a, a, a poisonous, uh, mm-hmm. intentional, intentional event. And that's that's what I mean by misbelief: that people not only believe something, but it colors the worldview in everything yeah. that they that they observe. And and it's... and you can see why this is now becoming much more dangerous and with much more repercussions. Yeah. It's interesting. That's actually the same exact rationality with what uh, E.E. Evans Pritchard talked about with witchcraft uh, when he was looking at the you, the in you look at traditional societies. He was looking in North Africa among the Zande. He would say, you know, 
the, the tribes he looked at said that everything had to come down to witchcraft. If your brother committed suicide, it wasn't because his brother had, uh, you know, bad relationships. It was because he was afflicted by a witch because only a witch, uh, because no sane man would kill themselves. And, and so that yeah. you're, you're sort of the, the man who said Salmonella was the, was a government conspiracy that he wanted to personalize it in the same way they see in these witchcraft, um, this witchcraft literature. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because in the, you begin your book where how you were demonized, right, with COVID-19 uh, conspiracies. And, you know, it's funny. I think a lot of us who have any sort of public stature get um, conspiracy theories told about us all the time. I am apparently in the pocket of big pharma uh, because I have uh, pointed, poked some holes in some wellness theories. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure that Soros owes me a check at some point soon. <laughs> um, and I'm waiting for it. But you, you, you have this idea of, of the funnel of misbelief. So I'm just going to read this passage from your book. Yeah. The funnel of misbelief is an amazing and complex phenomenon. People start out with one set of opinions and beliefs. They enter the funnel and come out with a very different set of opinions and beliefs. Their family and their friends often watch in bemusement, unable to fathom how the person they thought they knew so well could have undergone such a shift. How does this funnel come come about? Yeah. So, so, so there's kind of four elements to the funnel: emotion, in particular, stress, cognitive, personality, and social. And and the conditions that get it going is basically stress. And that's that's really important. And by the way, it's it's true about your your story about the tribes as well. We can we can go back to this, but uh, we not we don't mean the stress that says I'm so busy. What we mean is stress where people say, I don't understand the world. Something is very strange happening and not good, and I don't understand why I'm not getting my share. By the way, people don't have a an urge to adopt conspiracy theory when they win the lottery, right? It's not when it's good things happen; it's when bad. It's or when they feel extra loved. It's when it's when bad things are happening. And here are kind of two examples for just to think about the need for a story. Uh, one of them is is showing that if you think about tribes who fish, and you say, imagine a tribe that fishes in the ocean versus in a lake. The one in the lake has more predictable fishing patterns. Yesterday will be very much like tomorrow. The one in the ocean has much more variability and much less predictability the people who fish in the ocean basically develop more superstitions right superstitions Hmm. again going back to what what you were talking about the tribes is is a sense of i don't have to live with uncertainty there's a story behind this Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. another one even even cuter in some way there's something we call white noise and white noise, we know as noise, kind of a full spectrum. But it's also described paintings. So imagine a picture, a page, with white, black, and gray dots, randomly scattered. That's also called white noise. And imagine I show you 20 of those, 10 seconds for each, and I say, do you see a pattern? Mm-hmm. Under what conditions are you more likely to see a pattern? Stress. I can mm-hmm. stress you emotionally. I can also stress you non-emotionally, like I can stress you and say, you know, your, your life is unlikely to turn out to something, nobody loves you, things like that. But I can also, um, for example, when people go parachuting, <laughs> as they get mm-hmm. close to parachuting, they see more patterns. Interesting. So, so when the world is confusing and uncertain and we feel hard done by, we want a story. We need a story. It doesn't have to be real. But, but we want a story. So stress uh, creates the, the, need, the need for a story. And but if, you, if you said that... One, one, one second, one second. And, and not all stories are made alike. Mm-hmm. And the stories we particularly want are stories with villains. Because mm-hmm. that deflects blame, right? If it's a story that I'm responsible, that's not as good. If it's a story that, you know, in, in, that you're responsible for that, you and the farmer behind you, uh, mm-hmm. That's that's a better that's a better story. And there's another interesting thing, which is there's a benefit for the story being complex. So usually we think that simple stories are better. Like you know, you just look at literature. Um, mm-hmm. But um, in this particular case, complex stories are 
are better. And why? Because imagine that you feel that society is looking at you as an underdog. Mm-hmm. What do you want? You want to feel even better than other people. So mm-hmm. now I can tell you, you think that you understand the world. I'm the one who really understands it. I'm the one that understands that Soros is controlling the pharma companies. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and the complexity actually makes people feel superior. And if you right. think about the language that many of these people use, they are, they're, they're seeing things, we're sheep, and so on, that's, that's a very important part of the story. In, in fact, many people who fall into conspiracy theories are actually, they seem quite bright, right? You know, they, they actually, like, they, they, they are. They are. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. And it's a, that's, that's one of the things that I think we, we do that is a mistake, is we discount them and we discount mm-hmm. these misbeliefs or conspiracies. And mm-hmm. what, what I, I think the first insight I had was that these beliefs are not for nothing. They should not be discounted and those people should not be discounted. Mm-hmm. These beliefs fulfill a real need. Now, mm-hmm. I wish it was answered by something else, but if you, if you basically say, here is person A, five years ago I thought they were my friends and we see everything eye to eye, now I'm not sure we're the same species. It's not about them. They have mm-hmm. gone through a difficult, complex period in which they had stress. Mm-hmm. They needed an answer, and and then they went down a funnel that that created a lot of damage for themselves. But 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 it's not it's it's not that they are not smart or wonderful or warm or anything like that. If you put somebody, uh, you know, I do a lot of stuff with cold water and breath work. It's one of the things that I'm known for. So, so you put somebody in, in an ice bath and you teach them to relax and has some benefits that come with that. But I'm wondering, and I think I'm going to try this personally. Uh, if you put like a raw shack in front of somebody who's sitting in an ice bath, will they be more likely to see patterns in the way that your skydiver did? So, so I think first of all, um, ice bath, uh, I've I've tried it a couple of times, by the way, because of my burns, uh, mm. it's it's very oh, tough right. for me, right? So so you can imagine that I have that my skin is only the, uh, but it is it is interesting, but I think it's a different kind of stress, because mm. you can get out mm-hmm. uh, when you want. Where <laughs> parachuting is a different uh, is a different story. So so I think it's much more in control. So if we say there's the stress of being in control, but can I manage it? Mm-hmm. And there's a stress of things are outside of my control. Right. And I think, I think that, that, you know, I'm not saying it's a hundred percent control, but I think it's closer to that, yeah. that stress, but still, I think the experiment is worthwhile. Oh, I'm definitely going to do this experiment. I'm going to do it like tomorrow. It's going to be great. Um, so, you know, the marketing material in in your book, The Honest Truth About Dishonesty, it begins this way, and I just took this off your website, you know, mm-hmm. from ticket fixing in our police departments to test score scandals in our schools, cheating and dishonesty are ubiquitous parts of our national news cycle and an inescapable parts of the human condition. This quote to me, I mean, it seems like a good a way as any to address the elephant in the room, right? which is that recently you've been caught up in these allegations of falsified data. You know, there's data culotta, there's an article in the New Yorker, there's planet money. There's a lot written about you recently. Uh, and they all seem to, to glom onto the, the, the certain irony that you, an expert on lying may have been caught making up data. And I'll, I'll just read a quote from the New Yorker piece, but there's other pieces out there as well. Arelli and Gino, who's another professor um, uh, in this research, found that creative people cheat more and people will cheat or lie when they see people on their own team cheating and lying around them. Uh, a month after he sent a file to Mazar, Arelli, Arielli re- applied and later won an NIH grant for dynamics that may comprise, uh, sorry, dynamics that may comprise the ethicality of scientific reporting. Okay, so that's, this is big, Tan, <laughs> and yeah. how, I'm just going to give you the open-ended question. How are we supposed to make sense of this? Yeah, so, so I think the, the right way to make sense of it is to ask me exactly uh, what happens, and, 
listen to my my version sure. of it. Sure. What um, happened? And 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 um, by the way, I have never read anything that was written about me, mm. uh, not good and not bad. So I did not read this uh, New Yorker article. Mm -hmm. um, but but here is the simple uh, fact: um, in two thousand eight or seven, sometime around there, I got a data file. I trusted the data file. Um, and then in 2012, uh, we published that as, as a data file that we, that I trusted, I personally trusted. So, so we have a data file, uh, I trusted it. Um, we, we published it, uh, about two plus years ago. Uh, we, we also posted it online for other people to look at. Um, and then about two years ago, somebody took a very careful look at it and found that it was falsified. Terrible, mm -hmm. terrible news. Uh, immediately retracted the paper because you don't want things that, that are falsified. And almost immediately started to working on replicating the study to also understand what works and what doesn't work and, and get a more... Mm -hmm. A nuanced version of it. Now, I, I, I've done lots of experiments. I've kind of tried to count because, but let's say it's over a thousand. Mm -hmm. uh, I've worked with almost uh, 300 collaborators and with over a thousand uh, research assistants. Research process, like everything else, uh, creates a tremendous degree of trust. Uh, if you ask me, um, is, is everybody I've ever worked with um, have done everything without any uh, mistake or I, it's, it's, it's a big ask. It's a big ask. Um, if you ask me, have I ever uh, did anything unethical knowing that it was unethical? The answer is no. And, and look, the reality is that, uh, th there is no pattern in this, uh, you know, as social science has gotten better, uh, we pre-register study, we post everything online. I think I run maybe the only lab in the world that we post all of the results that didn't work out. Mm -hmm. Right? How many? How many faculty? Uh, everybody posts the results that work. That's academic papers. I also post everything that 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 doesn't uh, that doesn't work. Now, am I very very sorry that this has happened? Absolutely. Um, have a lot of things improved in our practices from two thousand and eight until uh, every year we get better? Absolutely. Would would this could this mistake happen again? Not not this one, but is is there any process that is is foolproof? I think the answer is no. Now, well, you know, academics end up being under a tremendous amount of pressure to you know they they call it publisher perish right and yeah. and more interesting results get more attention by the nature of you know you say a more shocking thing. Yeah. And it, it it gets, you know, the ball rolling. The 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 study that, as I understand it, right, um, uh, that that where this this uh, false data appeared was a, a grounding part of your career, right? It's the nudge data. It's, oh it's no 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 no. That's that's now now you're listening to. to I'm reading the New Yorker. I'm re I'm reading no, no, the no. New Yorker. Yeah yeah yeah. Like we can talk about. It, but I don't I don't look. I don't want like. Reporters have their own objective and their mm -hmm. own ethics and, and their own, like everything you can say about me, uh, you can say about reporters. But no, let's remember that in 2007, mm -hmm. I finished my academic promotion. Mm -hmm. In 2007, I was the James B. Duke professor of psychology and behavioral economics. There was nothing ahead of me. Zero. And mm -hmm. um, so, so no. It was also, by the way, for me, a very minor study. I did not mm -hmm. think of it at all as groundbreaking. This is why it was sitting on a server between 2007 or eight when we got it until 
2012 when we published it. If mm -hmm. I thought it was an important thing, I would have published it initially. I, mm -hmm. um, at the time, this was also the first field study I, I participated in. So no, no, it's, it's completely untrue uh, to mm -hmm. think that I, it was making my career or it was an important study for me. I think it's a, it's a cute study. And by the way, now we've replicated it. It works. We understand nuances of when signature works and when signatures don't work. Check the box, don't work. The, the more thoughtful attention signature matters. But if, if you think about what's my incentive, like, like first of all, let's be clear. Uh, you know, not every time people have an incentive to do something, they, they do it. But, but if you think about my incentive, I was at exactly the period where I stopped having any incentives to, right. mm -hmm. to be, to be, to be dishonest. So all of this is not, uh, is not the case. Now, I am deeply sorry it happened. I'm deeply sorry it happened. And, uh, and, and by the way, so we've, we've improved our practices from 2007 when I joined Duke every year. Mm -hmm. When we found out about this, we reviewed all of our processes. And we've made a lot of advances already, but there are a couple of things that we, mm -hmm. uh, that we added. And, and I think that's what we should do. We should continuously be on the thrive to, to improve things. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that, um, anyway, so, you know, I think the, look, so I had this, let, let, I had this experience with the COVID deniers of death threats for two years. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then, um, and then I get the, at the end of these two years, more or less, I get the the accusations about uh, falsifying data, and and I understand why people are upset about this. Um, mm -hmm. I don't exactly understand the viciousness that is going through the accusation, but I do understand why people are very upset, and I also understand why it's very cute uh, mm -hmm. and and tight and and catching. Like you know, look, uh, it's. It seems so interesting that I, I think that one thing that you, you you write in your books is that like to some degree everyone lies, right? You know, to some degree yeah. there's white lies, there the there are the missed untruths that happen, and we look at research as if it is this sort of paragon of objectivity, right? A pair of something which yeah. is which it cannot be subverted, and then to to see a professor who wrote that research to get caught up in a scandal, it is exactly the sort of thing that, that a reporter would cover. Hey, there's an irony, there's an irony in it. Of course, but let's, let's remember two things. One is, uh, if somebody runs a thousand experiments, mm -hmm. uh, what, is the, uh, what is the probability that, that one of them will have a real problem with it? Mm. And I think the idea that it's zero, it's, it's, Probably oh no! There's, there's data all, all wrong all the time. So I think I think that's one. Two, I think you have to also take into account the fact that I'm probably one of the most scrutinized researcher in social mm -hmm. science. So so you know that the fact that somebody is finding a mistake, a terrible mistake, uh, is not like other people, because the mm -hmm. number of people who ask me for data and look at what I do is, like, I'm. I'm with a target on my back for a long time. So, so when you look at this, the question is how are you interpreting it? So mm -hmm. you can say, here is something terrible that happened to one of the people that is the most scrutinized in the field. Mm -hmm. and, and therefore, we can actually be, <laughs> be comfortable that the rest of the results are good. Um, mm -hmm. But, but think, think about base rate. You want to think about the volume that people do the prob the scrutiny that people go through and this now i'm not saying this is a good title for a journalist to attack mm -hmm. but i'm saying that the the conclusion that comes from here's a really bad result of a paper let me say that the whole person is is bad or the right. whole field is bad but the other thing that you said that i disagree with is that this is um i think this approach that we posted the data and somebody found out it, it, that it was it was falsified. 
is actually a good, it shows that science is correcting, <laughs> maybe a little right. bit with too much viciousness and too much energy, mm -hmm. uh, but, but it is a correcting process and we have better processes and so on. You want, yeah. you want science to learn from mistakes. And I think we have learned well, from it's, mistakes. It's interesting. You know, there was this example in my, in my field. Um, this was probably 15 years ago, I want to think. This is when I was at Wired magazine. And one reporter, I think her name was Kim Zetter. I might be wrong on that, but, but she was, some of her stories came up with some information that didn't check out, right? And they hired a journalism class over at Columbia University to, to look at every story she'd ever written and reverse fact check yeah. everything she did. And, I, and, and they found errors because errors exist. But also when you do a reverse fact check situation, facts change. People change their, their story. And, and, yeah. and, and she became pilloried. And I believe that she lost her career because of this. And, and, and to some degree, I would say you are the, you are the most visibly obvious researcher on lying and mistruth in the world, probably, you know, that's probably not an exaggeration to, so to say that you would be under ex, extra scrutiny okay. is without a doubt. And I do also think that the, the idea that people would invalidate an entire person because of an error yeah. is very, un, is very uncharitable um, mm -hmm. to that, because obviously you think deeply about a lot of things and, and it's not all on one, um, your, your whole, you know, we like canceling humans, right? We, we love that in, in the yeah. world right now. It's by like, the it's way, our favorite by the way, thing. I, yeah, I, I don't understand, I don't understand this, this, uh, this liking, but we can come back to this about what, what's the yeah. liking of, of cancel culture. But, but I, I think, I think a very interesting topic is what is our relationship to, to mistakes? Yes. And, um, and I think to, to, for me, you know, when this, when this thing first happened, my belief was, I, I don't think anybody could mistaken that I have nothing but good intentions mm -hmm. because everybody who knows me will tell you that I wake up in the morning and I try to do good. I, mm -hmm. I have a very, very strange life, <laughs> but I'm really, mm -hmm. I'm really, um, I don't think I've ever done anything malicious or negative or gossiped or said, said bad thing or, or did uh, anything, anybody, anything, anything negative. And when beginning with this happened, my thought would, was that people know me and lots of people know me uh, will just know that I always have good intention and will will know that it's a mistake, but nobody will suspect that I did it with intention. And mm -hmm. I think this switch to intentionality uh, is is amazing. And that's, that's really part of the story okay. is that you take somebody who, uh, uh, okay, the action, the action is, is, is the action. And then you basically attribute uh, a lot of intention. I think that's that's part of the thing that really surprised me. Hmm. Do, with with this, I mean, the other thing that that made this particular story so powerful is that it's not just you. The other per, other name that comes up is uh, Francesca Gino at Harvard University, um, who was also found in a different event of falsified data, which actually connects to yours. It's it's. It would be quite a remarkable coincidence, you know, these reporters point out that there would be two incidences of lying or falsified data in one paper. I agree. It's, uh, it's quite true. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you, if you just thought about it statistically, so, so uh, what is the probability that two people uh, are two separate people are dishonest on the same, on the same paper. The, the probability is, you know, the multiplication of the two probabilities. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it does not look good, Dan. It does not look like it, 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 it looks like, um, I mean, what do you know about what, what her research, what, about the falsification and her data? I mean, were you working together? Was it was a, a true coincidence that a, a black swan event? So, so I don't, I, I don't really know that much about, uh, about, uh, what exactly happened with Francesca and, and I, 
I have learned enough about accusing people with not knowing enough that I certainly don't want to, to engage in this. But here are some very simple facts about me. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, I'm severely disabled. Uh, I have not, be, I, I have very little movement in my hand. Uh, I have not opened a data file since I think 2003, uh, mostly. No, since 2003, maybe 2000, maybe, maybe, maybe 2000, let's say 2003. Um, I, at the time I was, I, I've, I, I did not need any paper. I was uh, the fourth author, like it's a very lowly um, place mm-hmm. on this. I, I got very little academic credit for this mm-hmm. paper. Um, I take my name off papers all the time. I, I don't mm-hmm. care about uh, being on more papers. Like you can just ask people who work with me. Um, it, it just never, never was an issue uh, for me. I, I drive tremendous satisfaction from lots of things in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also like, like I've never checked how many citations I have, or I never yeah. counted how many papers I have. It's just, it's just not part of, of who I am at all. And um, so, so, so look, whenever you deal with something that happened in 2008, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. Paper trails is different. Uh, cloud services were different. Lots of things are hard to find out. And, and now we need to make all kinds of assumptions about what happened. And I think that the evidence that uh, I did anything inappropriate doesn't exist. It's all, it's all not just circumstantial, it has to go over a lot of barriers. Like, sure. here's a guy who doesn't use his hands for data, but on that occasion, he decided to do that. Here is somebody who usually doesn't care about papers, but on this paper, being a fourth author was so important for him that he did that. I mean, right. you, you, you just have to jump through a lot of hoops to, to basically uh, co- connect the dots, going back to our conspiracy theories. And now a word from our sponsors, by which I mean you. Thank you for being here. And I wanted to say, if you really like the stuff that I do, it would be great if you could support the show on Patreon, where you'll get early access to new videos and a lively community talking about, well, the weird things that I talk about on this channel. It would mean a lot for me if you could check out uh, the link down below and, you know, see if this is right for you. But if it doesn't, you know what really also helps me? If you like and subscribe and hit that bell icon, the algorithm really, really cares, and it gives a massive boost to let my channel spread all over the internet. And without further ado, back to the video. Well, let's go back to actually the broader question for a moment, uh, not about these allegations. I'm actually interested in, in in the way we handled pandemic misinformation uh, yep. over the last f- few years, but there's that it, we've gotten to a point where we don't trust experts. We yep. don't trust um, medical uh, medical authorities, um, yep. and we do trust people with charisma, right? We do <laughs> trust people of charisma, and. And we also have noticed, and there's a lot of papers on on uh, ac- like academic papers that have data problems. It's not just data collada. There's tons of people out there where where you look at academic papers and there's and, and it undermines faith in academia and in in yeah. journals in general. Yeah. I mean, what are we seeing? What does this tell us about truth? What does this tell us about how we can trust anything right now? Yeah. So, so first of all, uh, let, let's say a couple of things. So, so first of all, finding out the truth is difficult. And there's a lot of things that um, people think is a mistake, but it's actually not. And I'll give you an example. Uh, uh, we, we had a paper a long time ago on the Ten Commandments. We got some people to recall the Ten Commandments. Uh, some people not, and we showed that the people who recall the Ten Commandments cheated less. Okay, 
a, a very nice group in Holland decided quite a few years later to replicate that experiment. Okay, so they tried it in different, in lots of different settings. And, and, and they made two big changes uh, with this. Oh, well, one, it was a lot of it was in Europe, not in the US, different, but, mm -hmm. but not all of it. Another one is they changed the procedure for cheating. In, in our procedure, people just had to declare, in their procedure, people had to mark the correct answer. So the, the barriers for cheating is higher when you have to mark and then you cheat, okay? Um, and then they didn't replicate the, the results. Mm -hmm. so, so the conclusion said, oh my goodness, look at this. The, uh, the Ten Commandment paper doesn't hold. Here's the replication. Mm -hmm. But guess what? When they did the replication study, they did two studies, one after the other. They did study one, and then the replication of the Ten Commandments. Like, you know, you're going to replicate something, you might as well replicate multiple things. So they, right. they try to do two studies at the price of one. Mm -hmm. When we got the data from them, after the paper was published, and, you know, people were saying, oh, it doesn't replicate, we looked at the results of the, of the Ten Commandments as a function of the first experiment. And guess what? Could you explain okay. what you mean by that? Yeah. So, so... I, I... They, they in every time they ran the, the, the experiment, they did a study one, which I'll tell you what it is, and after that, the Ten Commandments study. But oh, of course, so you're, when, you're saying the first study influenced the the answers exactly. on the second study. I see exactly. Right. And when they published it, they published it as the two separate papers. But mm -hmm. when we get the data, we got it for both of them together, <laughs> and we looked at it, and we saw that the first study influenced the results of the second one. Mm -hmm. And in fact, reversed it. And we thought, here's the reason it doesn't work. It's not because the results don't work. Now, I don't think they had a bad what, intention. What, what was the first study? What, was, what were they the studying? First study, the first study annoyed people, <laughs> either mm -hmm. at the 20% level or an 80% level with a specific manipulation. It was a replication of something else, but annoyance uh, changed the, the re reaction to the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. Now, we looked at it and we said, like, you can look at it in two ways. You can say it doesn't replicate. Or you can say we discovered another important factor. Mm -hmm. Now, now um, uh, we, we since then uh, replicated it and, and, and went on, on doing that. But, you know, that's, that's part of the story is that social science is very tough. Right. Like, you know, if we, if we did a study, uh, even let's take something trivial like if we did study on optimism on a rainy day and on a sunny day we will find different results and, and if we're looking at something delicate it might not replicate mm -hmm. um, if if like in, in the period now i don't know if it's just my experience but i think everybody's on edge <laughs> mm -hmm. i think people are stressed out and aggressive i think there's something in the air uh, that that we haven't gone fully through COVID yeah. well, uh, you know, already. So, so, so I, I just want to, to do this. So, so you know, when th there are many times that we do an experiment and we do it again, but we're not really doing it again in the same, mm -hmm. in the same way. Um, you know, if you think about, you, you mentioned like what's happening now to the relationship to the truth. You know, I think we're in a very different period in terms of relationship to the truth. Um, you know, just think about where we are in identity politics. Mm -hmm. um, so, so let's say we had a, an experiment from 20 years ago about uh, how people would react if a president would violate a secret material. Mm -hmm. and, and, we, and we carried it now again. Mm -hmm. And the results were very different. Mm -hmm. You'd say, well, it doesn't replicate. Right. No, that's you know time. That's time mm -hmm. and things have changed. But sometimes it's not time. Mm -hmm. Sometimes other things create big changes. And, and we don't even know all the variable to enter into the picture. Right. Which is, you know, I was an anthropologist. You know, before I went into journalism, I was getting my PhD. I dropped out before I, uh, I actually, you know, defended the dissertation. But yeah, this is the problem. Anthropology is even squishier than what you do. You get out there and you can't replicate a, 
a single thing. But I think one of the important things in your research is this idea of like almost so easy to change the way people think about things, right? You, you have this nudge idea, like, oh, you do this little nudge, you you put um, a, a, a little cue at the beginning of a contract, and then people will be more honest. That's the, that's the yeah. big, um, that's that big study. And and it, it seems so simple and so cheap to actually try. Yeah. And yet, a lot of people are also saying that doesn't it doesn't actually replicate. But I think no, that no, there's no, 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 no. That's that's just not true. Now, now you haven't done your research and you're spreading uh, misinformation. Uh, okay. There's lots of research that has replicated this. Uh, the U.S. government has a report on that mm -hmm. uh, working out. There's a lot of things that replicate. I can send you papers. Mm -hmm. um, now it's true that not all reporters uh, cite them, but but that's not true. The the so first of all, when when we found out that the results that the paper was based on falsified data, we started working on finding out what's what's working and not working and. And you know now the standards are very different. Every study is pre-registered. We post the data publicly, so things things are much much. The professionalism on the study has increased, but the basic result about about signing first holds not just in our result; it, it holds in other people's mm -hmm. uh, papers. If you write me later, I'll send you I'll send you links. But yeah. I I'd like I, to say, I mean, I, the, the, I mean, it's interesting because I've read now three articles on this and, you know, Planet Money did a, a, a piece on it. Let me, let they, me, what, let me, let me, let me tell you something. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think journalists provide a very valuable um, a role in society. Uh, but if, if you want to note the statement about uh, do signatures uh, have an impact, then then realize journalists have their goal is very different. Like, mm -hmm. let's let's think about this case that we talked earlier. Let's say that somebody did a thousand studies. Let's say that all of them were scrutinized, mm -hmm. and one of them was found to be terrible. Mm -hmm. What is the journalist's responsibility in your mind to report it as zero point one percent? Or mm -hmm. to focus on that one study? Uh, no, I think that so. As a reporter, somebody who's, who's worked on this, I mean, you do yeah. want to take in as much of the full picture as possible. Uh, I, I will, I, and you know, again, I have not done independent reporting into you. I have read other people's articles, so yeah. we'll, we'll, we're going to put that as my baseline. What I have heard, though, is that they they the, well, the allegation essentially is, is that the entire field is built on sort of a mutual desire to want the nudge to work and people falsifying data. Wait, let, let me just finish this yeah, point. Yeah. And, and yeah. they also w said that, uh, you know, I can't think the example in Planet Money is they went to Guatemala and they, that another social scientist, I forget his name, went to Guatemala yeah. and tried to get more tax revenue coming in by using the honesty pledge yeah. um, methodology. And, uh, and it didn't generate any more revenue at all. It, it, right. it was a, it was a complete flop and, you know, the government wasted some money and res and, and intellectual yeah. resources on that. Yeah. So here, so here's some things you, you don't know. Sure. Uh, the, the way that that experiment work is that the manipulation was in the capture. Um, so explain it was that in the, me. you know, capture the, the way you to verify entering yeah, yeah. into a database. Yeah, yeah, the thing that convinces um, the computer you're not a robot, right? That's right. That's that's a very different approach than mm. having you sign on the on a statement. Mm. And that experiment tried to do many things that have been tested many times, and none of them worked. Mm -hmm. Now, I think that's an important experiment, mm -hmm. and I think the the conclusion from that is that when the manipulation is part of the capture, mm -hmm. that doesn't translate. Like you could say, let me let me do a manipulation in the capture. Will it translate to the actual form? Mm -hmm. Now, I wish they did yes capture and no capture. They didn't do it. But my interpretation of that is that the probability that the manipulation will work in a capture is is lower. Now, of course, but but in that experiment. Uh, so first of all, it's not just a sign first. They didn't. Nothing they tried worked. So mm -hmm. so that gives me the strength. 
to to suspect that it's not about the specific manipulation it's about their approach now if it worked this is what is called a, a confounded design they tested two things they tried a new method mm-hmm. and they tried some things it didn't work but because nothing worked in that study then i i would suspect like you know study science is a slow process but mm-hmm. if it was me the next experiment i would say is to say okay this didn't work on capture let's try it maybe it's the capture that is the mm-hmm. is is the mistake but let me let me say look my lab in the last maybe eight years uh, we have moved to do more applied research mm-hmm. and and there's something very nice about applied research because the data is the data and mm-hmm. and and you get the data that's you know uh, we go to a place and we try to get low-income people to save a little bit of money or we try to get uh, people with um, uh, you know diabetes to take their uh, medication or we try to get people to mm-hmm. um, you know return to work or w- whatever it is and and an applied research is is different than than academic uh, research uh, mm-hmm. because in academic research we only like results when they are showing something new mm-hmm. and we only like results when they are surprising and mm-hmm. we don't like it when something doesn't work out in applied mm-hmm. research everything is good preventing mm-hmm. a company from doing a bad idea is as good as getting them to do a, right. a good idea mm-hmm. the other thing we do is we don't just focus on the new thing we say and we say Let's take, let's assume it's an Indian reservation and we want people to save a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. We don't ask, what is my pet theory? We say, mm-hmm. what would be the most helpful? And when we accumulate things, and as I told you, we publish both the things that work and we publish the things that don't work. But you can look that lots of things are making a dent. Lots mm-hmm. of things are making a dent. And I know we're kind of short on time, but I'll give you one one example. I now score uh, lots of companies in the U.S. on how well they treat their employees. Mm-hmm. Right. And based on that, I predict which companies next year uh, will do better and worse in the stock market. Mm. And <clears throat> every year I get the data and I predict for next year. And you can see my predictions and you can see what happens. And guess what? Mm-hmm. I beat I beat the S and P five hundred quite well. Actually, J P Morgan wrote four papers on huh. on my on my data. If okay. that's is, the pa- that's is, the paper I want you to send me, I think um, the, the four of them. Yeah, send, send some, but, some just, but just to be clear, just to be clear, this is like really important. We're trying to quantify human motivation, and we're trying to argue that companies should pay more attention to specific aspect of human capital and human motivation. Mm-hmm. And we are on the line every year because every year we predict and every year you can see the results and sure. uh, the stock market returns or the stock market return. And, and that's what I think we, we want to, to move towards. But we started in a simple way with students and complex environment and not always replicating, but, but my version of this is moving to the field to have a real impact on on people's lives, and we're in a very different ball game now. So, if you know, since we're running low on time, I think that the I, it, it would it's useful to think towards the future here, and given the the, the situation, your expertise, you know, you have done so much research over your career on misbelief and lying. You're, 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 regardless of these allegations, where however they fall, you're still probably the smartest guy in the room on that topic. How, given that, do you correct a reputation which is where people are questioning it? Like, what is the, what is the person who is under allegations supposed to do to create a legacy that they want? Yeah. So, you know, one thing I realized with the, with the misbelievers is that there are some people I'll never be able to convince. Mm-hmm. That, that was very clear from day one, and I think it's true for academics too. Uh, I, think, I think the second thing is that correcting impression is very tough. Like, think about you. 
uh, you came with some preconceived notions. You knew very little, but you came up with some. I'm, I'm not blaming you, right? That's that's how most people uh, work. You you come up with very little knowledge, partially because you don't know, but but partially because it's harder to get to, and and preconceived notion. And you know, there's a role in in informing informing people. But I think the real the real picture would be, you know, what kind of research will I produce in the next 10, 15 years? Mm-hmm. So I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a, let's say, let's say that, that we found the, the person who falsified the data in 2007, 2008. Let's say there was something like that. I don't think that most people would be convinced um, mm-hmm. by that. I think people would come up with other stories. I think that the, I, I need to come to the recognition that some people will never have a good opinion of me and, and accept mm-hmm. it, which is, which is a tough, it's a tough realization to say, you know, I really, if you knew me, I think you would agree that I'm one of the nicest people around and with good intentions. But I need to recognize that some people would always have these um, negative impressions on me. And that's just a fact of life. And now it's not about disproving anything because that will not will not help mm-hmm. but it's it's about providing you know continuing in my path which is to create good high quality research uh, moving forward yeah i think that's a good point like it it seems like one we do want to villainize people right we want to, we want to find uh-huh. things where we can kick someone while they're down and we all make errors and we all lie to some degree, right? We, this is, yeah. We're all flawed as humans. And yet our reputation and our life in general, you can only add to it, right? You can't take things away. You can only add books on that shelf of, of, of your life, of anyone's life. And it'll be interesting to see how society reacts over the, you know, right now you're a great villain of academic research, right? You know, you even have a funny beard. I mean, you're, you're, you're there for the, the, you, you make an interesting villain. I also believe that people will find another one, you know, in three weeks, right? And, and, and you're sort of in the, in the center of a cyclone. And I think that it still raises so many interesting questions about misbelief and about truth. And I hope that as you, as you're, you do more research, there's lessons to be learned out of this that, uh, that can be useful to ever. Cause I, I agree from knowing you from a little bit, seeing your, your, your academic work, and you know your Instagram profile. Let's be honest; that's where I get a lot of my information <laughs> about you. Um, people are complex. Research is complex, and uh, and we're never going to find a lot of answers. Yeah, go on. That's right. But but I think I think that f- for me, one one of the the issue is: uh, Are we assuming good intentions? Mm-hmm. And I I think we certainly should. They assume good intention with our significant other and our friends and so on. But but I think it needs to be more than that. I think that it's true about even politicians from the other side of the political aisle. It's true about even people with different opinions. I think um, kind of you know are we are we just going to assume bad intentions on everything? I think it's a it's a it's a bad recipe. Yeah, and I think and I think uh, much of cult- cancel culture is is basically that that somebody makes a mistake and you say this mistake is coloring everything they do because I believe that deep inside their intentions are just mm. are just bad and I, I think I think that's something we need to figure out how to deal with. Um, can, I, can I ask you about that? Uh, not actually, it's not even in, re- in relation to what our conversation has mostly been about, but sometimes I have found that people with good intentions can still do terrible, terrible things. In fact, a lot of my work, uh, and I'm not, I'm not addressing your story at all here. I'm thinking about organ traffickers that I've, I've interviewed in my book, the red market, and even Wim Hof, who I've written recently about has been teaching a technique where people are now dying, uh, because he has taught it incorrectly. Uh, he, and, and I don't think he has bad intentions, 
And I didn't think those organ traffickers that I met had bad intentions either. They always told me that they're saving lives. They're not taking them. And when I look at Wim Hof, he teaches a technique where people drown. And I do hold him to account for that. I do hold him because the effects are real. So, so look, uh, I think it's, it's different if it's good intentions or bad. It, It doesn't make the, the death any less sad. Mm-hmm. But if you think about from a society's perspective and you say, let's punish bad behavior because we don't want it to repeat and let's reward good behavior because we want it to repeat. Uh, we want to, to reward good intentions. In, in the long term, good intentions will, will yield good outcome. And we want people to innovate. So, mm-hmm. so you know, you want... <laughs> You want Wim Hof to try new things, and and you want and if we basically take the approach that every time a mistake happened, we're going to kill somebody, the the person who did it, uh, society is not going to move much. We we are we're in a learning process. Like imagine a learning algorithm. I, mm. Imagine a kid. Uh, what what do you want to reward them for studying for the exam, or for mm. their grade? In the yeah. long term, if you, you want them to study better, and in the long run, that's the right approach. You don't want them, like a day in which they studied a lot, yeah. but the exam was on something else and it was they really failed, you don't want to say, this is it, you're grounded for a month. Yeah. No, you want to say, congratulations, you studied well, it's the right strategy. In the long term, it would, it would pan out. If we start focusing on outcome, now look, when people die, it's very sad. I'm not. I'm not saying that. But if if we think that society people learn for themselves, and people mm. learn for society, like I want people to do more extreme research. I don't want people to do more timid research. I want people to open more interesting restaurants rather than to open the same restaurant. I want people to open new businesses. Society benefits for people trying and even failing it's part of the it's part of the thing and if we if we focus on just punishing the outcome we're not going to get the risky behavior we want yeah i i'm sorry i know that we're running a little over time but i actually think this is like the most interesting thing that we've brought up here because i you know in my career right you know i i will talk to mafia dons i have interviewed child soldiers, I've interviewed political leaders who do legitimately bad things, like like literally kidnap people, steal their organs, sell their organ. I have a whole book that's called The Red Market. It's on my shelf behind me. These people are bad. When I talk to them, though, they always tell me why they're good. They always tell me what, why what they're doing is good. And they all have a narrative for why they are good people. And And, but and but so, this is not this is not the story we're talking about. We're not talking about people's distorted view of what they're doing. We're talking but, but about it's intentions. But it's intentions. Their intentions are good. <clears throat> and, and I actually I think that's the most beautiful and complex and difficult part of this yeah. is they really do believe they're good people. Okay. So so there's a question. I would have the question of whether they believe that or whether they act like this and then they change their their mind. But let's let's. Let's put that aside because, you know, cognitive dissonance would say that if they start harvesting organs, they'll have to justify it some way and change their beliefs. But let's let's assume that that's the case. Let's assume that people in, in the whole range of things, uh, uh, there's an opportunity for people that if we think about intention, some intentions will basically be mismanaged. There's a big question of whether we look backward or we look forward. And I think for for society, a lot of time we want to look forward. We want to say, here's a kid that that I want to, there's some things I want them to keep on doing. And -hmm. if they have what I think is good intention, I want to say, you've done well, regardless of the outcome. And here's an entrepreneur that if they tried their best to do something that could have been innovative but failed, I don't want him to feel bad about it because... That's what we gave the money for to, to, to try and take a big, a big bet. Now, if we take one entrepreneur one time and we say, oh, you did badly, that's true on that one time, but that's not the right approach for life. 
society as a whole wants people to take more risk, want people to innovate, want people to try new things. That's also where more mistakes could happen. Like, you know, if people start building a new cars, some yeah. of them would fail. Uh, if we try autonomous vehicle, what do you think? There'll never be a failure of no, these no, things. No, no, obviously. Yeah, we, it's a, but it's that question of cognitive dissonance, which is so persnickety in this entire conversation because you... I know so many people who think they have the best intentions in the world and they have bad outcomes. If people have good intentions and you agree that they have good intentions, reward them based on their intentions. No question, even if the outcome is bad or at least discount the outcome. If people have what they think is good intention and you think these are not good intentions, but they're yeah. clouded by self-interest and so on, then, then we're in a different story and you want to, to fix that. But the way you want to fix it is not by focusing on the outcome, it's by focusing on the, mm. uh, the intentions. And, and, and I, I think that's, that's, that's the way you want to do it. But even, even in somebody that tries to reduce their weight, if somebody had a day in which they exercised and ate salad and did all the right things and their weight went up by half a pound, you don't want right. to say, Terrible. You did terrible today. No, no, no. You did great. Congratulations. In the long term, it would, it would work out. I think, I think we, um, and I'll just say something about research. I think we can, we can do safe research, which will yield boring, reliable results, or we can take risks and sometimes make mistakes working with more partners, bigger scale, in distant countries, all kinds of things. What is the cost benefit we're willing to take for this uh, risky behavior? You know, different people have different, a different answer, but I think society would benefit more uh, if, people, if, if people took uh, more risk, yeah. uh, even if there's a, if increases yeah. mistakes. Well, you've given me so much to think about, and I so appreciate you being here. Um, and for everyone listening, this was Scott Carney Investigates. Uh, appreciate all of you.